It was February of 2022. I opened the door of a large industrial building on the south side of Chicago, housing dozens of studios, galleries, and creative spaces. I was excited to meet other artists in the community, but my palms were very sweaty. The gallery owner convened a circle to introduce ourselves, but I only remember two things from that point on. One, someone talking about their relationship to Mother Earth. And two, locking eyes with that person as I introduced myself, wide-eyed and enchanted. The person I met is Abena Motaboli, and she is a Basutu Ghanaian interdisciplinary artist, educator, and writer, currently based in Chicago. She grew up in Lesotho, a landlocked nation surrounded by the country of South Africa, before moving to the United States and attending art school at Columbia College here in Chicago, where she obtained her Bachelor's of Fine Arts. Deeply inspired by plants, nature, and our living world, she finds joy in using pigments of the earth, working with flowers, and being in conversation with everything around her. Her work has been exhibited across the U.S. and Europe, and she is currently engaged with the Center for Humans and Nature as a land reciprocity program developer and in land access research with the Calliopeia Foundation. Thank you for joining me as I'm honored to share this journey and conversation with the incredibly gifted and wholly loving educator and artist, Abena Motavoli. Abena, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for that, John. I'm like <laughs> blushing. <laughs> me too. Thank you for the flowers. I'm very excited to be on whatever journey we're on. And to come full circle to the start of this conversation, we met while exhibiting together and started dating 10 months after we met. And as our relationship has progressed, I've learned a lot about how you walk through this world. And I've noticed your sense of community seems to be radically different. And I'm curious what was different between the South African culture and community that you grew up in and the one that we both live in today. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to start with that. There's so many um, differences. So I was born in Bloemfontein, which is um, in the Orange Free State in South Africa. But I grew up in Lesotho, which is a country that's totally landlocked by South Africa. And um, something that's super central to everyone back home is this idea of togetherness. I know you're very familiar with the term Ubuntu, and that's it, it's so hard to translate that into English, but it, it really does imply a sense of togetherness and that I am because we are. And so I think I was very surrounded by people who really understood what that meant. And within that too, I think there's there's so much curiosity that has to happen. So when you say I am because we are or we are one, there's this idea of like, yes, we are one, but there's the assumption that I am very aware of all the complexities of who you are as a person. And so I think a lot of the time when I think about people and how complex we are, people back home, you have to be curious. You can't not be curious because it means that you learn to be curious is to learn, it's to be open. It's so many things. But yeah, I think that's one of the things that was really big growing up. That's definitely something I'll comment on. There's a lot more and maybe we'll dig in further. How do you activate that yourself? Um, living in the United States, um, if that's the philosophy that seems to ground you 
it does seem, from my experience, definitely seems to be a big part of your life. How do you go about that in a culture that sometimes doesn't acknowledge that idea or maybe has never? Yeah. Yeah, that's a it's, that's a challenging one for me. I think coming to this country, I was um, 18 when we moved here. And I think the first thing that hit me was I, I grew up in a place where it was so normal to be connected to nature and to be connected to the land. Like my grandmother, who lived to be 104, um, lived in this village called Kana, not to be confused with Ghana, but every month we'd go visit her and there was no electricity and it was so beautiful. It was on the top of this mountain and you would hear dogs barking from miles away and you'd see the stars and you'd see the smoke rising up from a fire. And everyone who lived there just was very connected to this earth and to all of the creatures around, to the animals, to the plants, to the trees, to the sky, just everything to Mother Earth. And so I, I think when I first moved here, I didn't realize it, but I had the assumption that everyone else here was connected, just as connected as I was. And over time, I quickly, very quickly learned that that wasn't the case. And so being connected to the earth is something that grounds me, being connected to soil, being connected to the trees, being connected to the leaves or the water or whatever it is, whoever it is, non-human um, kin connects me back to the earth. And so I think it's impossible for me to be out of touch with nature, you know? And so I, I think just the way that I navigate and the way that I move in order to exist, I am I have to be rooted down to this planet. A friend of mine was talking about gravity, um, a really good friend of mine. And um, I've shared this with you before, but she had sort of said that, you know, we belong here. We belong on this planet. And when you think about gravity, gravity keeps us here. It's sort of like the earth giving you this big giant hug saying you belong here. And so for me, just having um, a really deep rooted practice of gratitude, having a connection to land and knowing that I need that in order to exist keeps me here, keeps me grounded, keeps me connected keeps me pushing wherever I am yeah and then I feel like a broken record saying this but <laughs> one of my favorite quotes is by Robin Wall Kimmerer who's Potawatomi and indigenous she wrote braiding sweetgrass and it's just someone I really look up up to so she has this quote that says the land knows you even when you're lost and that really hits me because it, it says to me that no matter where you go the land knows you and as an immigrant for myself, the one thing that I connect to so strongly is soil. You know, these soils were here. They were the first thing that I touched as a baby. They're here with me right now. They're here with me wherever I go on this planet. And they will be with me when I return. And so there's just this really beautiful thing I think about when I think about navigating this planet. And it's just that we are so rooted and connected. And, and I really tap into that there was part of it where you were talking about the the sort of interconnectedness and you used a word kin and in my experience kin before meeting you kin was a human word even though i didn't particularly feel like that way personally i had always used it in that way and only in that way where kin had to be a kin folk you were human and the way you use it 
um, for me was radically different and really um, eye-opening. I'm curious if you could expound on that more and just Oh, so many things. Language is really complicated. I was having this issue the other day. I'm starting a series of meditations on the land with um, my current workplace, the Center for Humans and Nature. And I was struggling to just sort of find a word that would describe all of the non-human life around us without having to recenter it on human. <laughs> On humans, you know, so it's like, what is a word that that sort of encompasses a whole ecosystem that encompasses the plants, the animals, the creatures, the trees, the plants, the water, the soil, the air, all of it and more. Um, and also gives it gives them life because they are alive. And so I think for me, the word key and kin, um, I'm familiar with it in terms of I think it was Robin Walkimer who has sort of a couple of years ago introduced those those words as ways that we could think about the plants. And I connect really strongly with this idea that if we start to learn and care for another living being, such as the plants or such as the soil, then we can develop a relationship with them. And when you have a relationship with someone or um, something or a plant or non-human being, then you are able to care you are able to have a relationship and you are able to also understand the idea of intelligence that is non-human. So plant intelligence. Um, and I hate to use that word too, <laughs> because again, it's, it's human centric or human centered. Um, but when I think about keen, can I think very much about just all of the living life forms out there that are not human. They're just as important to you and part of your family than yeah. 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 I love that so much. I think that it has a lot of implications for how we think about laws and philosophies, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There was a poem that you had written called Prairie Red, and you mentioned healing of land. And we were previously just talking about this idea of land for you, there seems to be that intimate connection to it. So I guess my question is, and your practice calls back to land. And so I'm curious um, how that just shows up in your art practice between this idea of healing and land. So I feel very connected to everything around me, the plants, the prairie. I think Illinois has been interesting as it's just been the place that I landed when we came here. And when my family and I had first moved here, we were out in the suburbs. So like cornfields and nothing for miles and just flat land, Illinois. And when I moved to Chicago, obviously the city has the lake, which is so beautiful that I feel very connected to as well. But there's also prairie. And I think it was a couple of winters ago where I just was going through seasonal depression, which is something I never thought <laughs> was that real and I find myself out in nature whether it's winter or summer whatever season it is I'm out in nature and I was looking for just the beauty and thinking about how slow everything is in the winter time and so I was taking a walk down by the lake and I stumbled on some prairie grass and some prairie plants and it was kind of it felt like magic just to notice these plants that were moving so slow yet so present and also there to remind me of the beauty that is here flat as it is <laughs> in the midwest 
Um, and so I wrote a little poem. It was a gratitude poem to this, you know, the prairie grass. And I have a really big practice of gratitude. It's something that I tap into and that I've always tapped into. But one of my practices is just writing gratitude poems to either the lake whenever I go, which is nearly every day, or writing gratitude poems to plants because it it brings me into a deeper relationship with that plant where I'm able to see some of the gifts of the plants and also tap into what does it mean to listen deeply to these plants. And I think in the wintertime, because there's just life is so slow, it, it becomes a little bit easier to listen and to notice, especially with the plants. Um, and that for me is healing. And so writing is is definitely one of the things that I tap into as part of my art practice. And a lot of my paintings and the work that I do starts with writing and moves out from there. Um, yeah. It's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's really difficult to interview someone that you're having a relationship with because because <laughs> you're just kind of staring off <laughs> but no it's really yeah the the opportunity to to witness that life is around us yeah and I, I think you have a really good way of doing this too so I think one of the first things I noticed when we had a conversation was your peace planting project of planting sunflowers and I think to even have a relationship with with nature, it's like you have to notice and you have to be so curious and you have to listen. And yeah, I see that within in you too. Mm, thanks. Yeah, I got that plant thing from my mother, and she always said that flowers were proof that God loves us. Mm. And I didn't grow up a terribly religious person, but I've always been a spiritual person. And for whatever reason, that that idea of being connected to everything, um, I think really stems from that comment that I learned when I was a little kid. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I do think they're little reminders, seeing the flowers come up in the spring, seeing which plants go dormant, which ones go to sleep in the wintertime, which ones are around and they are little reminders of different things, um, especially when we choose to listen. I was listening to another show and there was someone talking about how plants flock to humans and how they like to be in conversation with them. And it really blew my mind. I didn't understand the sort of relationship that humans have with the things around them. And that was just such a Mm. I still get emotional about it, actually. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. I have a lot of moments where I'm just like, oh, <laughs> that plant is calling. And it, it, it it's so hard to talk about because I think sometimes it can be read as like, oh, you're woo-woo or God, you're <laughs> both. <laughs> but I, I really, I do believe that that the plants have stories to tell us if only we listen and if we're aware and noticing, we will we will see them and we will understand. It's just been like magnolia season, like all of them are gone right now, but I've been very intrigued by them. And 
the other day I was out walking with a friend and we were mid conversation and I just stopped and I was like, what is that smell? There's like this really beautiful fragrance in the air. Where is that coming from? And it almost felt like something in my heart was just pulling me towards this tree. And I, I couldn't figure out what it was, but I had to go towards that tree. And of course it's a magnolia tree in full bloom with all of its fleshy, delightful um, petals hanging off of this tree. And it was just so beautiful. And I, I think it, for me, it's felt really humbling to tap into what it means to move a bit slower and to listen deeply to the plants. I've definitely picked up on some of that slowness from you. You know, we've had many conversations, um, both rather smooth and some more contentious ones, just I think culturally and um, yeah. our speeds and how I like to move fast. Um, yeah. I'm curious how you navigate that in a way where everyone else around you wants to move <laughs> at the speed of light. Ah, uh, this is a challenge. It's I, honestly like right now it's it's been a challenge with everyone. I mean, including you, everyone in my life. And I don't think there's a wrong or right way to do anything, but I, I definitely find it challenging to push consistently for that slowness because it means that when things come in, you you really have to push hard and push back against a pace that doesn't feel good, um, or at least for me, and sort of advocating for why. I think personally, when it, whenever I'm moving super fast, it sort of, it, it stops me from noticing. It stops me from having the time. It stops me from just indulging in the pure pleasure of being a living human being on this planet. So for example, I know I, we've, we've talked about this before too, but something I've been doing of late is just co-regulating with this tree outside of my window. And I love it. Like in the morning, uh, I've got my routine and I need like three hours to wake up. And that's just, you know, me sitting with this tree, having a cup of tea and just sitting together literally sitting together and I find it really cool because I, I I do think that the plants notice when you're there I don't have the language to talk about this but uh I heard somewhere just this idea that whenever you're near a tree it emits different energies and so it's like just noticing that you're there the same way as a human you notice when another human is around you um and so in my routine which also includes journaling and reading and meditating or working out or doing yoga whatever part of it is just having that time to sit and be still and to notice um and if i can do that over lunchtime and before bed that's great <laughs> and just like pushing for that slowness within the day and being able to like resist this need to have urgency it's definitely challenging but i, I feel the more that i lean into it the more that i'm able to guard this way of noticing that I, I really love. It's a big gift. And I think it's a big tool too, to be able to notice like that. It's, it's very cool. So with my, the workplace, the center for humans and nature, it's a very small team. There's um, five of us right now. And so for one of our PDs, we did a forest bathing session with this lovely human, Jess, who works at the Chicago Botanical Gardens. And I, I wasn't familiar with forest bathing before. I didn't know what it was. I, I was kind of like, oh, does that, do we just <laughs> hang out with the trees in a forest? And, or, you know, how does this work? 
but we did it and it was really beautiful and it was just it felt very much like a ritual where we um just had time to deeply notice and so one of the activities we did was having 10 minutes to walk super slowly and to notice the plants that were around us one of the other activities we did were was to just find a plant um and then spend some time with that one plant and so it, it was really just beautiful to look at this living being and then notice how fast life was moving around us and to also sort of in, internally feel like what a gift that I get to spend this time with these plants and and knowing that the things that you spend time with will grow. Um, you seem to pull ideas from all sorts of places, whether it's nature or socio-political things, um, but you have this really fun way of weaving together a story of some sort um, or this narrative about life. It's very rich to me. And it's, when I think about the work that you do, I think about that sort of background that you're coming from and what you're bringing to to a canvas or, um, or any sort of work like that. Um, and your artwork, it addresses social and cultural issues um, but it's not through literal representation of things. And you do it metaphorically through process and materiality. I'm curious what role you believe ha art has in being part of that conversation, in creating dialogue, or even thinking about promoting social change. Art is really important. I remember when we first met, you asked me the question about responsibility and um, whether we have a responsibility. <laughs> yeah, this is a question. <laughs> that was a really good question. Um, and I've been thinking about that. And it's so curious when I joined the center, one of their missions is that we have a responsibility to each other and to this living earth. And so it's like, what if we do, you know, if we have the space and the capacity to um, share in this way, then do we have a responsibility? Absolutely. Yes, I think so. Yeah. And so being an artist allows me to tap into that for myself as a way of exploring. It also feels like I get to be a wild creative explorer in my studio and I get to explore whatever I want to. I get to play with different medium. I get to play with the plants. I get to learn about them. And I have so much gratitude for that. So, so for me, it's sort of like this practice of play and curiosity and learning and I think art has just been it, it's been my tool and I think what's really cool about it too is that other people can connect to it um, so with a lot of my natural dyes or natural pigment paints that I'm making seeing someone's face light up when they realize that they can make a pigment from turmeric or from paprika or from cinnamon or from tea or coffee or a dandelion from things that are all around us. And for me, it's like this idea that everything we have or everything that we need is right around us. We don't have to go anywhere for it. And even when you're in a city, it's just like it's all here. All it takes is noticing that it is around us. I remember when I met you and started learning about your practice and how you made the your own mediums and the, the fact that they weren't they weren't like a store-bought thing they were these like naturally occurring that you just you knew were there and you could work with 
I didn't grow up in a culture that laid things out like that mm. from the get-go. Um, that's what you're taught is that you're in competition for something that is scarce yeah. and one of you are going to get it. That's intense. That is so intense. Um, you're making me notice something else right now, which mm. <laughs> I think I was slightly aware of, but just this idea of abundance. So for me, the idea that anyone should own land in the context of like owning dirt or water is absolutely wild to me. It's incredibly wild. I remember doing this installation when I went to Columbia College and it was, I had these tarps I was playing with and tearing apart and I was commenting on like memory and fragmentation and like being an immigrant and like the sense of home and displacement and belonging and recreating home. And part of the installation were just like um, balls of dirt wrapped in cellophane hanging from the ceilings. And because our studios were by Grand Park, I had my bucket and I was like, I'm going to go fetch some dirt. I'm going to go fetch some some soil. So I was in the park grabbing the dirt. This is like when I was <laughs> freshly, <laughs> freshly moved to Chicago. And I remember the security guard telling me that I could be arrested for taking dirt. And I was so in shock because I, in my head, I was just like in Africa, dirt is free, <laughs> you know, um, soil is free, the air is free, not to say people don't own land, um, but just this idea of that it should be accessible for folks. And I think it it's different when you're in a, in a place like the US where capitalism is ingrained in almost everything. Not to say that capitalism doesn't exist elsewhere, it does in different contexts. But when I think about the land in the city here, I think it was Lenny Strobel, I, I might be misquoting someone, but she'd said that the land outside in a city is just land waiting to be liberated. There's land right underneath the concrete, underneath the concrete of these walls, underneath the pavements, underneath the roads. And so just like this idea that there is so much more underneath these structures that we've built and even when we think about all of the structures that we've built and all of the stores and malls and all of those things, when the soil and topsoil was ripped off, it had to go somewhere so that that soil that they rip off and replace with concrete gets sold as soil in stores, which again is another level of just complete madness to me. So I think just sort of, again, tapping into relationship with land helps me re-identify my own connection you were talking about structure and structures and the structures that we build something peaked in my mind about structures being stories mm. and the things that we tell ourselves and each other and that idea that it doesn't have to be true mm. Mm. yeah mm. So I know that we've recently had some discussions around religion and spirituality and some of that stuff. And I know that you identify as a Christian, but also pull wisdom from so many different traditions. And I'm, I'm curious what your upbringing was like and how you kind of came into your own spiritual path. Yeah, so... Um... Growing up, my mom was super spiritual, very uh, both spiritual and religious, Christian Catholic. 
Um, my dad, not so much. So my dad taught theory of knowledge and history and geography. And I think just we, me and my sister always had this idea that we had to question things, you know, like life couldn't just be as it was, you know, why do people live this way? Why is, you know, what is life <laughs> essentially? Um, what is perspective? What is knowledge? You know, when you think about theory of knowledge, it's like who gets to define what knowledge is, who gets to have that. And again, is that even knowledge because humans are at the center? And so I, I think I had two very unique viewpoints of being in church and going to different churches, seeing different communities, Christian communities, and then also this perspective of, yes, you have religion and also what are the questions you can ask of this. And then going to school, we just had a really good foundation. We were always taught to ask questions and taught to be not skeptical, but but to sort of analyze and pull things apart. Why is this the way it is? You know, and a quest for knowledge and quotes, but at the same time, I, I guess what I'm trying to get at is more of just the curiosity and learning um, and navigating that. So that's what I I grew up around, which I'm very grateful for. And I, I do feel very spiritual. I also really enjoy meditating and going to church for me sometimes feels like having a space to just meditate. I remember a moment in the pandemic where I went to one of the churches up in Rogers Park and I can't remember what I was thinking about, but I was just bawling, just crying and feeling like what a gift that my mom knew to put me in the space where I would have time to just sit and reflect. People have different different paths and different things and different tools, whether it's psychedelics, whether it's your religion, whether it's going on walks, whether, you know, there's so many ways that or tools that people have to get to a space of reflection and meditation. And so for me, that is one way that I do that. And I just finished reading All About Love by Bell Hooks for like the second time <laughs> and we'll probably keep rereading it over and over and over again. But one of the things she talks about is how at the core of all religions is love and that she'd felt a lot of shame talking about it. I really resonated with the way she talked about religion in the book and just tapping it into this deep ethic of love and then also what comes with love, you know, and self-growth and meditation and accountability, all those things are part of it. Um, How do you define love? Oh, that's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a big so, one. <laughs> so in a few weeks, you're facilitating a workshop uh, with yeah. your fellow artistic comrade, Peregrine Burmas, and it's called Wayfinding Collective Love Rituals. Just for a little context to what we're about to start talking about, I'm just going to read the event description real fast so that listeners can get an understanding. We'll understand a little bit better. Um, so it's joint interdisciplinary artist Abena Motopoli and Peregrine Burmas for an intimate workshop on wayfinding through collective love rituals. This workshop will be a space for collective care, healing, and nourishing together. Centered on their shared connection to land, belonging, and healing, the artists will explore ideas surrounding All About Love by Bell Hooks, Netflix documentary In Our Mother's Garden, and the poem Ancestors and I by Tori Ashley Matos. With that understood now, I'm curious to dive in a little bit deeper, especially since we've yeah. been in conversation around this topic for the past six months. So many conversations. It's So the workshop that we have coming up through uh, Three Walls, I am so excited about it. 
So my collaborate the collaborator I'm working with, she's a super dear friend, Perkin Burmas, and she's one of those friends who I've just learned so much about love with in a really like platonic way and also just thinking about relationships and friendships, intimate or not, where you learn about the other person, you learn about what intimacy means, you learn about support and also the rituals that you can engage with in each other. And so I think our friendship is is one that has taught me a lot about what it means to love. I'll also say that the first time that I read this book was right after a breakup with my ex. And so we'd been together for quite a while. And this was the first book that I picked up um, that I'd had sitting for a really long time. And something in me was just like, you have to read this book. So I picked up All About Love by Bell Hooks. And for the fellowship, we, over the course of seven months, Peregrine and I have just been reading the book again together as a ritual. And so every chapter we've read, we all sort of like me and have tea or have a ritual or through the work week, send each other voice notes, like what's going on, like with this week, how is this piece of this book connected to your life this week, or just little ways of learning together um, and also learning how to support each other has been really beautiful. It's also been pretty wild to me just thinking about the space I was in when when I'd first picked up this book. And so it's a really big topic. I think what stands out to me is just that part of loving someone means that you're connected to their spiritual growth as much as they're connected and committed to your spiritual growth as well. And it means a lot of things. It means so many things. And so in the workshop that we're going to do, which is a culmination of the past seven months digging into all about love and ancestors and I and in our mother's gardens will be an exploration of how we've explored this work together. And we'll also be talking to about our ancestry and our ancestors and our matriarchal lineage and more on love. So there's so much I could say, but I, I will I will I will share when I think about love, I think about my grandmothers. I think about my grandmother on my dad's side who lived to be 104. I think the reason I think about it is just like growing up, you have your parents, of course, and it's not like this for everybody, but the relationships that I, I truly did feel so much love fr from in the context of this person doesn't have to love me, but they just love me anyway, I think is my grandmother. And so just feeling that as a child and knowing that she came from her own lineage of grandmothers who probably loved her for me is really powerful. I've also learned a lot through this fellowship. So um, through the poem, Ancestors and I, it talks about just like our grandmothers and their grandmothers and their grandmothers and how much they did for us to get here. And so I've been asking both of my, my parents a lot more questions about the way they were brought up, about their grandparents, about their grandmothers, about, you know, how they were loved. And I've been finding some really interesting things out. I've been really sitting with with this idea that I come from a lineage of really strong, loving women on both sides of my family. Um, and so that's that's been a big part of this research. And there is so much more we'll just have to keep talking about outside <laughs> of this episode. <laughs> so for you, it doesn't seem like there's a way of love without 
a connection to the past, without a connection to things that aren't human, and without a connection to being present with the people you're spending time with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it takes to just like something that I've really enjoyed as I continue to get to know you is like having like being able to be vulnerable with someone, being able to share deeply and intentionally is really important because that with it with that honesty, there's so much more you can do together. Truer words have never been spoken. I know that from experience of not feeling and not being able to share myself fully with people and experiencing the repercussions of, of that. It's such a different life. Yeah. And we get to choose, you know, you get to choose to either deeply engage with someone in this work or to choose not to. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. That's a big one for me. Yeah. So I feel like you have always known you were an artist. Um, was there a a moment or, or something pivotal when you were a little niña or <laughs> even growing up later in that, um, that where you just kind of hit you, that you just really knew it? Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. I've always known that I wanted to be an artist and it's something I'm very grateful for. I, I don't think I'll, I'll ever have the words to express my gratitude for that but I, I've, I've always been very creative growing up my dad put me and my sister in art classes and just like extra you know outside of school activities where we'd be able to be creative and it was really strange that I at some point wanted to be an engineer I really loved physics and just like all of these other subjects and I was like sure I could do that but what I really have fun with and find so much joy in is art I remember, I think it was in grade two in primary school or elementary school, one of my art teachers showed a piece of work that I did in the grade six exhibition. And that was it. That was the moment. <laughs> that was absolutely the moment. Do you, um, you remember their name, the teacher's name? Mrs. Sack. Yeah, I just found her on Facebook. We were talking and she was like, I am so proud of you. Like 25 years later, you're still an artist. <laughs> <laughs> she was a really good teacher and I, I just um I've worked with a lot of youth in Chicago in different capacities and I, I just remember having someone believe in me other than my family who they've, they've always been very supportive of my career choices but to have someone else also validate that for you at such a young age I think for me it was a, a, a defining point of this is what I will do until my last breath on this earth thank you Miss <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for aspiring artists or artists that are just starting out on their path that are running into difficulties or just feeling imposter syndrome or anything like that? Mm, that's a challenging one. I feel like <laughs> five years ago, I would have said, say yes to everything. Take all the opportunities, do all the things you need to do, because that was me. But I think, and, and it, it, it definitely does help to talk to people and get out there. But right now, I feel like I'm much more in a space of just be curious, you know, 
like as an artist, you do get to have that space to be curious. So just really enjoy that time, that exploratory time and listen to like what your body wants, listen to what you want to explore. And also, of course, talking to people helps. I Something I really love doing too, especially like on Instagram or wherever I am, if there's someone that I find really inspiring, send them a message. Don't be afraid to engage or ask people for advice or questions. It's a big one. You trust, you trust what you're thinking. Trust, yeah. you trust what your body is saying to yourself. Yeah. And again, the plants remind us to do just that. They remind us to listen. <laughs> you were talking about joy just a second ago, and it reminded me that um, you talk about joy a lot. How do you see joy and the role it plays in, in art making and how to be human? Oh, I love this question. Joy is big. Joy is it's so big in my life. Why so? I grew up, I grew up in a place where people were joyous. You know, I, I had a conversation with my dad the other day and I was just like, why, like, why was everyone back home so joyous? Like, I know it's not just me. It's definitely not just me. It's something that I grew up with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, we were sort of just talking about this idea of, again, coming back to Ubuntu, coming back to community, this idea of I care about you because you are human. And that's the bare minimum. I can assume because we're both humans on this planet that we will take care of each other. And so there, there's this idea of, you know, if, if you see someone that needs help, you will do anything you can to help them. Or, you know, like if someone needs a place to stay, come on in. I have a place for you to stay. And by all means, tomorrow you'll go on your journey and keep going. So there's just, I, I think for me, like an ethic of of care that I grew up around and it, it connects back to a certain sense of togetherness. And within that togetherness, so many of the things that bring you closer to people are, are not monetary. They don't have anything to do with money. They have to do with care or it's eating together or you're dancing together. I remember so many times just being like at the bus stop and there are people dancing, they're carefree, they're happy. They don't have all of the like objects and things in the world that cost money, but inside in their bodies and their hearts is just pure joy for existing on this planet together. And it's something that I think happens in community. Like there's, there's a witnessing that needs to happen with, with joy. Yeah. And so when I think about joy, it's, it's ancestral. It's a way that I connect to my ancestors. It's a form of resilience. It's so many things. We were talking about something along this line a while back, and it was a different kind of knowledge that I was experiencing that had a different set of rules than what I grew up with. Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely very grateful um, that it's something that I was around growing up. I also think there is a, another part of this, and I don't know if I have the words to talk about it quite fully, but I think that when you are able to experience grief and sadness so fully, and I'm thinking particularly about death, death as presence, death as, you know, um, as gratitude, gratitude for life, I remember going to so many funerals as a child in the village and it was just so normal to have, you know, the the dead 
they're there, your ancestors, they're living, they're present, they're there. And so I think when cultures have rituals and things that they do together around death, that capacity to experience that grief allows you to have the full capacity to experience joy at the same time. So there's something deeper within that where I feel like if you give space to the sad, hard stuff of life, like death, then the joy can come out and be experienced fully together. When you're talking about connection and your ancestors and them being present, you mean there's there's a difference since a community, if they're still alive or if they're still present. Yeah. Since it's a deeper way, I think, that I've experienced. Yeah. Yeah. I think just knowing that we all come from somewhere, we're all going somewhere. (laughs) You think about the plants, you think about the vegetables, you think about the soil. The soil is literally holds all of us. And when we transition, that will hold all of us. And And so I just... I think I do feel really connected to my ancestors and ancestry and just knowing that they're always there with me wherever I go, the sense of connection. A number of these things I have thought about in my life for a long time concerning interconnectedness and live in a maybe a little bit more harmony. Um, But I will say that after meeting you and witnessing you and sharing time and space with you that I have a different understanding of it. And I am so immeasurably grateful for the for that sort of new knowledge and new wisdom that I didn't have. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much from the very, very bottom of my heart. I don't know what put us in our paths and I don't actually care because I'm just so grateful to have met you. And thank you for coming on the show. And I can't wait to wake up another day and text you and say hello. Thank you so much, John. This has been so beautiful. And ah, there's so many things I could say right now, but you really are a ray of sun on this planet. You are love. And I'm so happy to have met you too and look forward to talking more. Thank you. Look forward to it too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.